Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how God said there was a limit to the earth and man, and how the Bible guides us not to be depressed over our own mortality. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. And my advice, God says, is you better make his soul your offering for sin. That's what you have to do. And he says to all people everywhere, everywhere, he says, make the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ your offering for sin. Make him your savior. Take him as your savior because God says, for his and his alone sacrifice, I smell sweet savor. I smell a savor that brings the peace. Now, here we see God saying how deep the peace is that he makes with man. Because even with the view, even with this in view that I know, in other words, what's God doing? He's zeroing in on this issue of the hereditary sinfulness of man. I didn't save you from those sinners who died, who who I judged, because you're not sinful. They were saying that. Noah, you have the same sinful nature as those ones who were judged. So be careful, Noah. Be careful. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study from the book of Genesis. Why did God, it's such a wonderful uh, time when Noah's, you know, why did he bring this up? You know, well, obviously, God loves Noah so much that he's carefully cautioning Noah. He's saying to Noah, Noah, I'm counseling you. You have to beware of sin that lies in your heart. Noah, don't Don't let this wonderful feeling that you have now coming out on the earth sedate your guard. Sedate your guard. Like Paul said in in Romans 7, 23-25, Paul was, his guard was not sedated when he said, I see another law in my members warring. There's a warfare going on against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity. There was a struggle going on to the law of sin, which is in my members. It was internal. And then when he looks at all that, Paul looks at that and he says, this is a horrible man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he cries out for help. Who shall deliver me from this body of this death? And then he answers it. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God was in love warning Noah by essentially saying to Noah, I didn't save you from those sinners who died, who who I judged, because you're not sinful. He was saying that. Noah, you have the same sinful nature as those ones who were judged. So be careful, Noah. Be careful. And God finishes verse 21 by repeating again. He says, but neither will I smite anymore. Every living thing as I have done. And so those were a great comfort to Noah that, and a great comfort to us because God is saying that the sacrifice that he smelled was enough that even though we do have the same sinful nature, that God reaffirms his promise to not curse as he did before. Now we come to verse 22. The last verse of the chapter 8. And here it says, God said, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So, 
God said to Noah, while the earth remaineth. What does that statement indicate to you? While the earth remaineth. What does it indicate? It's not going to last. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> while the earth remaineth. That, that's another downer. Okay, so God is getting very good at these water on parades. All right, so this phrase indicates there's a limit. There's a limit to this earth. It's not going to remain. And so Noah's sitting there, so what does that mean? I'm going to do all this planning, all this work, all this effort to build this, all, all this new on the earth, and you tell me the earth's not going to remain? So that changes everything for Noah. It changes everything, and it does. It changes everything. And God wanted that change. God purposefully, at this point, reminded Noah that the earth has an end coming. He didn't know how long it was going to be. I mean, it might have been, you know, no, who knows. Anyway, and that changed everything. The Lord Jesus Christ was on earth, and he was always conscious of this limited amount of time. And especially, we mentioned this last week, especially when he came for those times to the city of Jerusalem. You remember the Romans? They were very clever, those Romans, and they wanted, and they wanted, and they did select the most public place for their public executions, so that all anybody had to do in Jerusalem was just look up there on that mount there, Calvary, Golgotha. All they had to do is just look up there and see, you know, the warning. You know, don't you defy Rome. This will happen to you. And people squirming in there and tortured to death on crosses. So all the time, and he knew that that was going to be the place of his death. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that. And so all the time when he was here, he keep this as a phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ was always in the sight of Calvary. See that phrase, in the sight of Calvary. What's it mean? Well, he's in Jerusalem, and so he's, whatever he's doing, whatever he's doing, he's talking or he's teaching or he's healing, and every now and then we can just picture him stopping and just... He's in the side of Calvary. And what does he do? When he, when he, he's reminded. He's remi- well, what would it be like for you if every day, let's say, that you bought a plot in Greenwood Mortuary, and every day you drove over there and you looked at it, and you said, okay, now, and they said, you're going to be here. That's a little, that changes a lot of things. I don't think I want to do that. Anyway, but every day he was in the sight of Calvary. That's why when he was 12 years old, he makes a statement, I must be about my father's business. Why? Because as a boy of 12 years old, he was in the sight of Calvary. That's why he said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. Why? Because when he said that, he was in the sight of Calvary. Even when he wasn't in Jerusalem, in his memory, he was in the sight of Calvary. And the Lord Jesus Christ means that he was always in the sight of his own death. And it was sort of like this that we talked about when he looked up there at Calvary or he thought about it. He was looking at the cemetery where he was going to get, he was going to die. It was a cemetery, but anyways, a place where he was going to die. And so when God said to Noah, while the earth remaineth, God was wanting Noah to also be in the sight of his own death. And with that statement, while the earth remaineth, God was wanting not only to remind Noah that don't get too attached because it's not going to remain, but also your life is not going to, going to continue. Your life is limited. And it changes everything. It changes everything. You know, that passage we've been referring to, the context of it, 2 Peter 3, 
We've been quoting verse 9 about the Lord not willing that any should perish. But the whole part of that, from verses 5 through 11, it starts off in 2 Peter 3, 5 by saying that people are willingly ignorant. So, what are they willingly ignorant of? It says that by the word of God that the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water. So, in other words, they're willingly ignorant that by God's word, creation happened, or he created And then it says, whereby the world then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So by the word of God, the world perished. And the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, it says in verse 7, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And then it goes on and says, that's the context, don't be ignorant of one thing and and then it says that one day is with the Lord as, now it doesn't say it is, but it as a thousand years. So God's got patience. A thousand years is one day. Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some man counts slackness and so forth. Then it says the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, see, the earth while the earth remaineth. Now, verse 11 in 2 Peter here, is really the key where it says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, the first part of what God was saying is a declaration. And when God said to Noah, while the earth remaineth, it was a declaration that all these things are going to be dissolved, see? And so therefore, in Second Peter, when it says our response after seeing this makes everything different. We live different. We live for heaven, not for earth. And that's essentially what he was saying to, um, to Noah at that time. You know, in the sight of the discontinuation of this earth, in the sight of our own death, as far as the Lord, in the sight of Calvary. You know, I think about baby Moses. It's always fascinating to me. I, I think that, you know, Moses' life, we always talk about chapter one, he was in Egypt, and chapter two was in the desert, and chapter three, he was with, with, in another desert with the, with the Jewish people. So anyway, but it's always fascinating, this chapter. So actually, you know, I think, there's a little chapter that fascinates me, so I mentioned there, in, the, in Moses' life. didn't last very long, but if you think about it, Moses starts out his life as a baby, and he's part of the Jewish people. And he's part of this family of Amram and Jacobed, Jacobed, and they're, they're the family, you know. And he's part of all that. He's a part, he belongs to, he's Jewish, he's, you know, he's a Levi. Okay. Then they no longer could hide him for three months. They hide him for three months, and they can't hide him for three months. So his mother then takes the little baby, and, and she puts him in this little box, this little ark. And she bends over at the River Nile, and she lays him in the river. It's such a fascinating scene. And then she, I don't know how she did it, but anyway, then she releases or takes her hand off of the ark, and she watches the ark and her baby just float away. I don't, anyway. And at that point, that's a chapter right there in Moses' life, because at that point, no strings attached. There's no strings attached. The Bible doesn't say anything about strings attached. The Talmud says that Miriam had a long string attached to his ark. I don't believe that. Anyway, no strings attached. He's floating down uh, the river. And at that point, in in essence, he's no longer part of the Jewish people. 
he's no longer part of Amram and, and, and Jochebed's family. He no longer is living in that home. And, and this little chapter, that chapter, the first three months of his life, kind of closes. And then this, this fascinating chapter, this doesn't last very long. And then when Moses is floating in the, in the Nile there, and then Pharaoh's daughter comes along, she sees him, she picks him up, and she makes him her son. And then he's called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so when she picks him up, then that little chapter closes and a new chapter starts out in Moses' life. And that's the chapter of Moses as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the Egyptian, Moses the Egyptian. Now that's a picture of our death. Because when we die, we're kind of like little baby Moses. We get severed from all relationships here on earth. We get severed from everything that we had here on earth, like Moses did. And the chapter of our life on earth stops, closes. A little time we float, and then the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ comes and takes us. That's a new chapter for us in the life life of heaven. So, you know, God is kind of cautioning Moses at the end of chapter 8 by saying, while the earth remaineth. Now, then he says... While the earth remaineth, he's going to maintain these, these things. Seed time harvest shall not cease. And he promises this continuation of cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night. And it won't cease until the year 2000 when there will be global warming. No, he didn't say that. So <laughs> that's a great worry today. So, so this is a great comfort that God says it's going to continue. It's going to continue. You know, seed time and harvest. Cheryl was out in this last week, and she was planting. I don't know what she's thinking, but she's, she's planting red lettuce and, and green lettuce and kale and, and peppers and onions and tomatoes and, and Swiss chard and, and beets and so many things. Anyway, she's putting them out there, and last night she gets up in the middle of the night, and she's trying to keep them warm, you know. <laughs> Not me, but anyway, she was out there doing that. All right. So the thing is, she does that because it's the seed time now. Seed time for something, I guess. And, and, and so then we'll have all this great stuff because she's, the predictability that you can count on the seasons, you can count on the harvest time, you can count on that the daytime's going to be here, the night time. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. And God says he'll never, never stop that as long as the earth remains. Because why? Why is he going to do that? Because of what he said in Matthew 5.45. He says, your father which is in heaven, he makes the sun to rise on the earth, on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the, the sun just doesn't rise every morning. God makes the sun to rise every morning. And the rain just doesn't just come. God sends the rain. Why does God do that? Because God does that because God's a good God and God wants to save the evil and God wants to save the unjust. That's just who he is. Because he's not willing that any evil or any unjust person should perish, but everybody should be saved. Now, we come in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and then God says to Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply. And so what's he doing here? Well, you know, you ask the question, how come the flood came? The flood came because of wrong marriages between the line of Seth and the line of uh, Cain. And so now we're starting all over again, and God reaffirms that he's for marriage, that he's for children. He says, go and multiply and replenish the earth. And then he says in verses 2 through 3 that he's given Moses dominion over animal life. And in particular, in verse 3, he tells Noah that now he can eat animal meat, which is a good thing. 
That's why I was born after Noah, so I could eat the animal meat. And at this point, Noah joins the NRA. <laughs> anyway, everything that moves, he, anyway. So uh, then, in verse 4 through 6, he says, he says, now for the first time in the Bible, God makes a prohibition on eating blood. Very, very strange thing. First time I went to Germany, I couldn't believe it. Bring some of the table. What is that? Blood sausage. It's blood. Anyway, God makes a prohibition against eating blood. And he says, you, won't, you shouldn't eat it. This prohibition happened, was given before Abraham. This prohibition was given before the Jewish people. This prohibition was given before Moses. This prohibition was given before the law. That's why when the question was put, to Barnabas and to Paul, what are we going to require the new Gentile believers to do as far as being circumcised and keeping the law of Moses? They replied in Acts 15, 19 through 20, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble them, we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. But we write unto them that they, one, abstain from the pollution of idols. Two, and from fornication, sexual immorality. Three, from things strangled and from blood. So here in Genesis, we have the first explicit command to not eat blood. And the reason it's given is because the life is in the blood. And what God is saying here is that there's something precious about blood because the life in us, and it's to be respected as representing life. And then God goes on and he says in verses 4 through 6, and again, we have to picture Noah. He's coming off the ark. He's seeing all this mass judgment. He's seeing all this death of all the human life. And he would have seen dead bodies everywhere. It would have been so easy for Noah to say, well, you know, life is pretty cheap. But God says to Noah, no, God says, I don't love death. I love life. And he puts a high value on man, and he wants man to put a high value on life and a high value on man's life. And he says, if a man murders a man, then God says the man should put to death the murderer. Who's the verse 6? And so why is man's life so precious, God says? Because he's made in the image of God. Every man is made in the image of God. That means every man has the ability to make a decision and call on God and, pe- and for God to save him. God made in the image of God, me- sorry, man made in the image of God means that man is not a robot. Man made in the image of God means that man makes his own decisions. Man made in the image of God means that man's decisions have not been predetermined by anyone. Man made in the image of God means that man has this ability to make his own decision, call on God and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, what you did after the flood that shows how much you're eager that no one should end in hell. And Lord, we pray that we might be also like Noah and and make a way for the lost to be saved and, and continue in our worship to you until, Lord, we go through that little chapter and arrive on the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, today you spoke about the phrase in Genesis 8.22, while the earth remaineth. That phrase can either be depressing or challenging. How does the Bible guide us to not be depressed over our own mortality? Yes, you know it's true. When there, it's way back in Genesis, and the phrase that God uses, and God says, while the earth remaineth. In other words, the earth is not eternal There's going to be, as we know in the scriptures, a destruction of this earth, the creation 
of a new earth. And it's interesting because, you know, I volunteer on the board of a local hospital and uh, we have a new building going in, a heart and vascular diagnostic center, and there's a big contest uh, uh, with donors and money that's involved and people give in order that the center should be named for them. And, and we see this all over hospitals, not just hospitals, but with uh, people's names on it and money they've given in order to get their names on it. But, you know, uh, sure, when these people give their millions of dollars to have their name put on this building or that building, they're thinking, now my name is going to be on this building for eternity. And you know, but the reality is that that building is part of the earth and it says the earth is not going to remain. Sorry, they should really put that in the contract of the person that they that they agreed to put the name on the building. There. But anyway, it says, while the earth remaineth. Now, that thought can either be, as you said, either depressing or challenging for us. But the Bible does give us guidance to not be depressed over our own mortality, but to be challenged by the fact that our life here on earth has a limit to it. See, Moses told us in Psalm 90, verse 12, he said that he really instructed us, he guided us when he made this prayer to God. He said, to teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. So in other words, the concept of numbering our days, which can be very, very depressing to think of how many days I've got left. You know, that's, that's really the question of every cancer patient to the doctor. How much time do I have left? You know, That's the numbering of our days. But he says, teach us to number our days. Teach us how to apply our hearts to wisdom. He didn't say, teach us to number our days so that we can go into depression. It was teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom, not to be downhearted, but to be uplifted. He said, teach us to number our days so we can apply our hearts to wisdom. So what is the wisdom he's referring to? He's referring to a wisdom which is really brought out for us in the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke in Matthew 25 of the talents. And that's the part he said in verses 20 through 21 when he said, And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You see this person? This is a parable, of course, but let's kind of play with this parable for just a little bit. This person who received five talents was taught to number his days, and he realized he only had a limited amount of time. So with that time, he worked hard. And you know what what happened? It's exciting. He gained five other talents, and it was wonderful for him. And first of all, he had this commendation, and the Lord was excited too. And he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then what he was told, he said, you have been faithful over a few things. And then he got this great promise for the future. I will make thee ruler over many things. And then he said, enter into the joy of the Lord. So he's giving him more responsibility. He's told to come into the joy of the Lord. That's wonderful because he numbered his days. He knew that he didn't have all the time in the world left, but just a short time. And he went to work with this short time. And you see, that's the key. That's the key right there to to how the Bible guides us not to be depressed over our own mortality, but to see it as a challenge. You know, it was Andrew Murray McShane who, who said he used to have on the dial of his watch a setting sun. 
so that every time he looked at his watch, he would be reminded that his time was limited on earth. He realized that man had no idea when he would die. In his case, he did so much, and he died in his 30s. And so God wants us to number our days. God wants us to put the the setting sun on our watch dials, on the watch dials of our minds. He wants us to number our days to apply our hearts unto wisdom. He wants us to be able to come to the place where Paul came and gave this wonderful pattern for us to shoot for, to aim for. He said, this is the mark. This is the target. This is the goal for us to come to the place where Paul was at, where at the end of his life, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You see, what he's pointing out to us here is you cannot, we cannot fight the good fight unless we see the fight. He says, we're going to fight it, but we can only fight it if we see it. We cannot finish the course unless we see the course. And we say, I see the course, I'm going to finish the course. We cannot keep the faith unless we see the faith to keep. And unless we say, I'm going to keep it. We cannot say we love his appearing unless we look and see his appearing coming and expect it soon and love it and yearn for it. That's the way we set ourselves to number our days. That's the wisdom that takes away the depression of our own mortality that Moses referred to when he said we should number our days so we can apply our heart now in our life while we have the time to this wisdom. That's the way to be challenged by our own mortality and not depressed by it. Thank you for joining us today. You can fulfill God's command to go to his lost nation of Jewish people first. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.